Good morning, church family. Good to be with you guys this morning. We're going to be back to the Gospel of Matthew this morning. So if you would turn to chapter 20 in your Bibles with me this morning, that would be great. All right. I'm going to ask somebody if I hit 11 o'clock this morning, raise your hand. Um, <clears throat> there's three or four ways I really wanted to take. Thank you, sister. There, there's quite a few ways to uh, approach this passage of Scripture. Uh, and this morning, I just really want to teach what's there. But there are a lot of other things just in my heart to want to share from there. And we might rabbit trail a little bit, but we'll come back. But before that, why don't we pray once again and just ask God to open our hearts as we get into his word this morning. So Father in heaven, we are thankful uh, again for your word. It truly is alive. God, we're so thankful for how it works in us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, just how you have told us that you would guide us into truth. We pray that you would do that this morning. Father, reveal to us as we get into your word. Uh, just help us to understand better the mind of Christ. Help us, Father, to understand when it tells us that you will pour your love into our hearts. God, we want to receive this morning. God, we know that we are loved by you. We're so thankful for that. We thank you for your ministry here at Freedom Fellowship. We pray that it would be full God, in functioning according to your purposes. We're asking you to give us wisdom and discernment as we study your word. God, helping us to be led well into your mission, what you're up to. We just want to be a part of what you're calling us to, Lord. Not to get a, a ahead of you or behind you. We just want to follow well. God, we're definitely in a, in a place of just being desperate for you to move. God, this world is falling apart. There's evil all around us, God. Just even the evil in our own backyard this last week with the shooting of, of uh, Officer Mitch, Lord. Uh, we just pray for him and his family, too, that you would be near the Lungard family in this time, comforting them, ministering to them, Father. And uh, we just pray that you would allow us to uh, just treasure you more today, Jesus as we look to you, as we study your word, that you would be ultimate in all things in our lives. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, Matthew chapter 20. We're going to be taking a look at the first 16 verses together this morning. I really love this passage of scripture because it's going to speak to our heart attitudes. And I don't know if you guys understand this or not, but in this life, our attitude is the big factor about the things that go on, how we perceive them to go on, and what we're going to do with the things that this world throws our way. So I want to take a look real quick back in chapter 19, verse 30, because there is this bracketed role reversal statement that we find here. And in verse 30 of chapter 19, it says, But many who are first will be last, Jesus said, and the last will be first. And then if you jump over to chapter 20, where we're going to get to this morning in verse 16, it says, so the last will be first, and the first shall be last. So are our ways always God's ways? No. And I love it, because he is just, he is good, 
and he is generous. And we're going to see that this morning as we get into this parable of this vineyard. Okay, the workers there are going to betray for you and I God's gracious generosity. How many of you guys enjoy the parable teachings in the Gospels? A lot of good stuff in there. I've heard a lot of them mistaught and have missed the point, and we're going to try to stay on point this morning with what God intended these parables, short stories, to teach us. So I want to read the whole parable together before we jump into the verse-by-verse teaching of it. And I want you guys to catch, before we jump in, grasp that the landowner here is the father, and the hired laborers that come up are his servants. So with understanding that, it'll help us bring some clarity to this parable. So take a look with me at verse 1 in chapter 20 here. For the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Verse 5, Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and he found others standing idle. And he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one hired us. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. Verse 8 tells us, So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to its steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last To the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they received a denarius. But when the first, they supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise each received a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour. And you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered and he said to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. I stumbled upon a TED Talk this week by Franz D. Walls. He's a primologist and etheologist, and he studied these Kampuchin monkeys um, about social in inequality and I laughed and I want to show this to you too because I think you will laugh and it actually ties in beautifully to the issues of the human heart we see it in animals at times so I'm going to play this for you now so a final experiment that I want to mention to you 
is our fairness study. Uh, and so this, this became a very famous study and there's now many more because after we did this about 10 years ago, uh, it became very well known. And we did that originally with capuchin monkeys and I'm going to show you the first experiment that we did. It has now been done with dogs and with birds and with chimpanzees. Um, this, but with Sarah Brosnan, we started out with capuchin monkeys. So what we did is we put two capuchin monkeys side by side. Again, these animals, they live in a group. They know each other. We take them out of the group, put them in a test chamber. And there's a very simple task that they need to do. And if you give both of them cucumber for the task, the two monkeys side by side, they're perfectly willing to do this 25 times in a row. So cucumber, even though it's really only water in my opinion, <laughs> but cucumber is perfectly fine for them. Now, if you give the partner grapes, the food preferences of my capuchin monkeys correspond exactly with the prices in the supermarket. And so if you give them grapes, it's a far better food, uh, then you create inequity between them. So that's the experiment we did. Recently, we videotaped it with new monkeys who had never done the task, thinking that maybe they would have a stronger reaction, and that turned out to be right. The one on the left is the monkey who gets cucumber. The one on the right is the one who gets grapes. The one who gets cucumber, note that the first piece of cucumber is perfectly fine. The first piece she eats. Uh, then she sees the other one getting grape, and you will see what happens. So she gives a rock to us. That's the task. And we give her a piece of cucumber, and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does. And she gets a grape. And she eats it. The other one sees that. She gives a rock to us now, gets again cucumber. She tests a rock now against the wall. She needs to give it to us. And she gets cucumber again. <laughs> so this is basically the Wall Street protest that you see here. So I'm glad Jesus took the time to talk in the scriptures to us and set this parable before us when it comes to fairness and equality, because I think we act like monkeys sometime, and it's good to get God's take on this, what is right. So this parable uh, has nothing to do with salvation. I read some commentators this last week. I wish I didn't waste my time. Okay, it has nothing to do with salvation. We don't see that in the context here. Nobody works for salvation. Amen? Okay, it is a gift of God. And nobody is going to complain about their salvation or anybody else's as a result of that. Secondly, it's not about rewards. Okay, rewards are granted on the basis of faithfulness and service. And each man's reward is different. So this parable guys, has everything to do with wrong attitude in service. So we'll find the kingdom of God is all about grace, and so in service, it's going to be connected to that grace. Okay, um, So the parable is built on the question that Peter asked back in chapter 19. Look at verse 27 with me. Okay, 
He's asking there, therefore, what shall we have? And it was a logical question, wasn't it? Very logical. Well, what are we going to get out of this? What shall we have? And the Lord's answer was encouraging, okay? Explaining 100% return on his investments. But Jesus here, guys, detected Peter's question was an attitude of the heart that was very dangerous. So what does Jesus do? Does he just let it slide? No, because God cares about the heart. He cares about what's going on on the inside. So Peter, was he just serving the Lord only for what he could get out of it? Is that where his heart was at? Or maybe were the disciples forsaking it all only because he had promised them a reward? In verse 1, so Jesus gives the parable here with several warnings that relate to our Christian service. Now let's take a look once again at the text. Verse 1, this speaks of hiring. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in the vineyard. Now, when they had agreed a covenant, okay, an agreement was made that the laborers would work a day for a denarius, he sent them into the land, into the vineyard. And he went out about the third hour, okay? And then he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. And again, they went out about the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and likewise, in about the eleventh hour. So the last hour, he went out and he found others that were standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing idle all day? And they said, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. So in the first century, the landowners would typically work early in the morning, okay? And they would go to the marketplace and that's where they would gather workers for the day. He would select a few workers to tend to his fields and the harvest uh, that was there, his crops, and he would pay them their wage at the end of each day. So in this parable, the owner returns to the marketplace every hour, or every few hours here to hire more workers. If you guys caught it here, the first group were there early in the morning, so early dawn, the break of day. It was country fashion for starting work. 6 a.m., let's get to it. Let's start our day off, get it done. So whether the grapes were ripe or there was pruning to be done, maybe it was that season, it appears that whatever was needed to be done, it was urgent. I need workers, there's work to do, let's get it done. Um, and it was also a choice privilege to be allowed to begin holy service so early in the morning. Now, what do we know about a denarius? Well, I'm glad you guys asked. It's a Roman silver coin. The laborers were given this for a day's wage. You get a denarius for a day of work. So it's about the size of a dime. I also want you guys to note the first group because there's a distinction made in our passage here. They were under a contract, weren't they? Okay. The others were not. Did you guys catch that? The others were not. So the hiring um, that went on, we had 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, 3, 5 p.m. 
So our first warning, brother and sister, this morning, I want us to grasp here is beware of making bargains with God. Look at verse 2 again. Now, when they had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. So be careful here. There's actually two categories of workers. Those who demanded a contract and those who had no need of a contract. The second group, they were commanded for, or, <clears throat> we, or the second group we can commend for sticking it out all day, not getting discouraged that nobody hired them. They trusted the landowner to give what was right. We're just going to trust you. So they trusted the owner's word. Did you guys catch that? I'm going to trust your word and your character. So this explains to you and I that the owner paid the men in reverse order here. Okay, this is what it lays out, starting with the last workers who were hired. And he wanted the six o'clock workers to see how generous that he was to the employees who did not have or need a contract. And I think this is really what he's wanting us to see here this morning. So how did this apply to Peter? Let's get back to our context. What does this mean for the apostle Peter? Well, he wanted to know what he was going to get. Peter was signing a contract with the Lord. So Jesus was saying, beware Peter, because you will get what you bargained for. So why not just trust me and I'll give you what's right? Okay? Do you guys know God is just and he is generous? Peter should have known this. So if we write the contract and tell God what we want, we're always going to be losers. That's the reality of that. But if we let him do it his way, we will receive exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or think. Ephesians 3.20. I'd rather roll that way, wouldn't you guys? Absolutely. Our master in heaven does not limit himself to what is just and equal. He gives what is gracious and what is generous. Also remember, God is more interested in the heart attitudes than in our work. Can I say that again? God cares more about our heart, where our heart is at, than what we're actually doing. So in our hearts, if our hearts are right, our work will be right. But if our hearts are selfish, if they're grasping, our work's going to suffer. Now let's move on to see what Jesus said here in verse 8, speaking to the payroll Okay, verse 8. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to, the, to his steward, Call the laborers, give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they received a denarius. So the ones who had only worked an hour received a day's worth of wages. Verse 10. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And likewise, they received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the heat of the day. So in verse 8, guys, according to the law, hired workers had to be paid at the end of the day. We see that back in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 15. Each day you shall give him his wages and not let the sun go down on it. 
for he is poor and has set his heart on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord, and it be to you sin. So this, is, this was traditional. Yeah, this was the law for the Jewish people. So as the sun was setting in the west, the hour to pay the workers had arrived. And the ones who were hired first, they got paid last. So the 11th hour, um, just time enough to put away the tools, right? So our Lord's pay, I love this, is not to hire of deservings, but a gift of bounty. There's a distinction there. So he paid on the scale of grace, not on the rate of merit. And aren't you guys glad? Well, I'm trying to earn my salvation. I'm trying to earn that favor from God. I'm trying to earn my forgiveness. I hate that. But that's the mentality of a lot of religious people today. If they would only humble themselves, seek the Lord, read his word, they would know, no. God is rich in mercy. He is graceful. And because of his grace, we are saved through grace. By faith, it's only something we can receive by faith, it is a gift of God, least anybody should boast. But look at all the good I do. Look at the Catholic catechism. You look on page 29 for confirmation. You are saved by good works. That is blasphemy. I wish they would study the word of God. Salvation, eternal life is a gift. The forgiveness of sins is a gift. We can't merit it. We can't earn that and the scary part is if we could earn it then we could lose it there would be no security in christ pretty scary that gets into more bad theology i just love what the word of god says i love this parable this just speaks truth this is the heart of god this is god himself speaking to us so it is a gift he paid on the scale of grace and not that of merit And if you look at verse 10 with me, this question that comes up, these guys got one denarii. Really? Just one? We ought to got 12. We worked all day long. So they suppose that they would receive more, is what the scripture says here. As far as standard economics, they were right. Isn't that fair? Absolutely. So on the basis of hours of service rendered, They went far beyond the others who had worked that day. And then they complain, and in verses 11 and 12, you know, we've borne the burden of the heat of the day. Okay, these were the sweat-stained men who had stood all day in that blazing heat, that hot, dry, dust-laden east wind that blasted the corn in Pharaoh's dreams that got to Jonah's gourd that were a part of that blightened vine of Ezekiel's vision. And these men had borne the burden of the heat of the day. So these murmurers were actually biting the hand that fed them. His only fault is that he was too good to the short-timers. That's the only fault I can find with the landowner. He was just too good. And aren't people the same way? That's not fair. God is too good. That isn't fair. How dare he? That man was a wretch to the day he died. And you said that he professed Christ, that he repented and gave his life, put his trust in the gospel, believed the word of Christ on his deathbed. That's not fair. 
God doesn't, no, God's too good, guys. That's what that is. Our God is just too good. So our second warning, brother and sister, is beware of watching other workers. Aren't we good at that? Yeah, social media, what is everyone else doing? Oh boy, everybody likes them. Nobody likes my pictures. You know, we can so compare ourselves. Why did they get the promotion? I've been here longer. I work harder. Man, if the boss would only show up when nobody knows he's showing up, he would see that I work and they all mess around when he's gone. Don't watch other servants and measure yourself by them. That's the warning, guys. See, we see the worker or the worker and the work. But what does God see? The heart. And isn't that what he cares about? He sees the heart. So the disciples were often guilty of watching other people and then drawing the wrong conclusions from it. Okay? We're very easy to cast judgment, aren't we? Yeah. So if we watch ourselves in this, we won't have to go through this unjust judging and then wreck ourselves, compare ourselves, go through all that turmoil. Um, You guys remember when they saw that man cast out the demons in Jesus' name? Remember what the disciples started doing? They tripped out. They went right to Jesus. Hey, Jesus! These guys over here that are not with us are casting out demons in your name. Okay? Um, What did Jesus do? He rebuked them. You know, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Jesus said, do not be afraid of him, for he who is not against us is on our side. So just earlier in the same chapter, the disciples were unable to cast out a demon themselves. Go back, check out the context of that. They couldn't do it, and yet they dared to criticize a believer who was able to do it. So we too often attack those whose success exposes our failures. And that brings us to our third warning this morning. Beware of overconfidence. Where do we see that? Verse 10, they suppose that they would receive more. I deserve more. I serve. I do. And because I therefore deserve this. And why don't other people get that? Well, again, guys, these workers were overconfident and they ended up being disappointed. And there's a whole lot of people who are disappointed out there. Why will nobody hire me? I can't get a job. There's a lot of work out there right now, guys. There's a reason. And it's because, guys, we're overconfident. I've been told my whole life that I am great. I am special. I'm better than everyone. I'm not normal. That would mean I'm like everyone else but we're telling everyone else that there's something special. And when they end up getting something normal, they're disappointed with it. They're not grateful. They disregard the blessing that we really have been blessed with. Guys, we are blessed. Even though we're in a nation that's denying God, he is still being merciful. What? We won't get on that bandwagon. Sit there for a while. But the reality is, part of the problem is, is we're overconfident. Beware, lest you fall. So these laborers negotiated their own contract. Remember that. They negotiated the contract 
but they didn't want to stick with it. You guys can jot down 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. So as God's workers, we must match our motives and be sure that we are serving God because of our love for him and not because of some promised reward. You see, it's possible to accomplish God's work and yet not really do God's will. Okay? What we're doing here this morning, this is good. God has called the local church to have an impact, to equip saints for the work of the ministry. It's easy, guys, to do good things, to go through the motions and miss the will of God. That's why we have to make sure that our hearts are in that right place before him. These workers here, guys, criticize the owner for being cheap. Like the prodigal's elder brother or the dutiful, he dutifully did, he did his job for all those years, but their hearts, they weren't in it. So Jonah, he's a good example. He did the exact same thing. When he finally obeyed God and he finally went to Nineveh, but his heart was not in the ministry. Okay? So, let's move on to the next point. Are you guys getting it? God cares about our hearts. That's what he cares about. Let's, cons- let's talk about discrimination for a moment. Let's first read verse 13. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, am I doing you wrong? Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give you... Or, or to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. So there is so many dis- discrimination laws today. So many. It's incredible. And some are really important. Some, okay? Um, Of course, we should not discriminate on the basis of sex or age or race, ethnicity, nationality, disability, gender, religion, political persuasion, list can go on. But where it's difficult, brother and sisters, I think is when we want to bless others. Do you guys track with where I'm going with this? Because there's times where I often think, am I setting a precedence here? If I do this out of generosity, if I go out of my way to spend time here or to do that for them, am I now going to have to do that for everybody? What am I setting there in that? And I love this parable because God is fair to all, but he's more generous to others. That's what I see in this parable. And this parable is really speaking to me this week in regards to that, freeing me up. Hey, I can just be generous when I want to be generous. It doesn't matter what others think. God, you care about my heart. And if my heart, you know, is wanting to love on that brother or that sister, 
in that way to serve or give or be generous, whatever it is, and I feel like you're calling me to do it, I don't need to worry about what others are going to think. Okay? It should be freeing what God is getting to, the heart of what this parable is revealing to you and I here. So, verse 14. Take what is yours and go your way. Or pick up as if he had refused to take it from the table or had contemptuously thrown the denarius to the ground. Okay, Verse 15 says, Is your eye evil because I am good? You guys can jot down Matthew chapter 6. If you remember back to a year ago, we were there in verse 22. The lamp of the body is what? The eye, right? If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. So evil eye, good eye. Comparison that we see often in Scripture. And envy is ever spoken of finding its expression in the eye. You guys remember Saul back in 1 Samuel 18.9? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Okay, There was envy there in his heart. Okay, he eyed him. So must you be jealous because I am generous is what God is saying here. Verse 16, many interpret this as many are called to labor for the Lord, but few are choice servants. So Jesus tells us, while many are called to service, few reach the standard of choice individuals. What is God looking, in, looking for in a, in a servant, in a steward? What's the one thing we're told in Scripture that he looks for in us? Faithfulness. That's what he looks for. Are you going to be faithful? That's it. That's what he wants. Well, first of all, Pastor, I feel like I need to be a little more gifted to be able to do something. That's a lie from the pit of hell if you bought into it. I'm not good enough. Okay, let me tell you what. You need to start reading the scriptures because God says he's chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He chooses the weak things of this world, guys, to be used for his glory. Let me tell you what. We qualify. There's not many of us wise here. Okay, not many strong. He's chosen the foolish things of the world. And when he does that, what happens? When people look in, (laughs) How is that happening? How are you being used in such a way? Why is your heart the way it is to love, to serve, to be so generous? How did you stop being so self-centered? Who gets the glory? It's not us. It's not my merit of goodness. And it's the working of God in my life. He's changing me. He's doing. He's doing things beyond me. You guys know we have a big God. And we should be doing things beyond us. So, I think this would be a great plaque that we could hang on our walls at work, maybe over your washer or dryer, okay, above the changing table maybe, or above your desk or on your toolbox, wherever, okay? But I work here because this is where God has called me to do his work in the world. That's what your job's all about, guys. 
God doesn't care. I don't care. We should not care. Well, they got a great gig over there. They got a lot of vacation, good pay. Whoop-de-doo. Okay. Our brother or sister, God has them where they are for a purpose. Okay. And it's for his glory. So whatever God has put our hands to, whatever is set before you in life, it is for him, guys. And we need to do that faithfully unto him. How do we bring God into that? I looked up this week, there was a survey taken that listed the top five or five factors used to determine whether or not a job was desirable. What type of work would we want? Well, the first one, anybody want to guess what's the number one thing people want out of a job? Money, right? Wages, okay? They also want security. I want a job where I know I'm not going to get fired easily. The third one was short work hours, and I want a lot of time, a lot of vacation, off, okay? The fourth one was chance for advancement, okay? I just don't want to mop floors the rest of my life. I want to climb up the corporate. That's not good enough. And then the fifth one, good fringe benefits. So those are the top five things people are looking for in jobs. So what would you add to this list? Let's be honest. What would we add? What would we want? Which is more important to you? And is there something not on this list? Maybe a privilege of service or feeling of accomplishment that brings that work, okay, that will bring to us. Heard of a man who walked by a, a building project that was going on, and he asked the three men what they were doing. One said to him, I'm laying bricks. The second guy said to him, I'm making 200 bucks a day doing this. And the third guy said, I'm helping build a cathedral to help people worship God. You know, all doing the same work, but where is our heart in what we're doing? Why are we there? What's the purpose in going in? Staying late, maybe. Continuing to be faithful at that job. How do you view your work? Okay. I want us to catch this morning and note that there's three warnings that I've thrown out here that I see in the parable. You guys might see more, but there's three that are pretty straightforward here. And they all come with three different relationships. First one, God. Okay, Our work with God, what does that look like? We need to be aware of making bargains with God. You know, well, Lord, I'll start to serve your people or love my neighbor or go if you promise thus. Not a good thing to do, brother and sister. Would you agree with me? Okay. Second one I see is with the relationship of the fellow workers. Beware of watching other workers. What is God asking you to do? That's all that matters. Well, I want my boss to see that I'm doing better than my coworkers. <laughs> you know, you just be faithful with what God's asking you to do. And I do believe Christians should be the best employees that any employer ever gets. Okay? We should be a joy to them. We should not be burdensome to them. Okay? We should work hard. Why? Because we're working on to the Lord. And in that, that's where we draw our strength. 
And the third thing, guys, I want us to see is with ourselves. Beware of overconfidence. And again, let's remember how Peter learned this. If you guys know it, you can jot down Acts chapter 3, verse 6. He was no longer asking what he will get, but what can I give? That was his question. And I think that is how we ought to be in this life. Not what can I get out of God, <laughs> what can I give? If we are to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, okay, he was a giver. He has been since the beginning of time. God so loved this world that he gave. We should follow in his footsteps. Not I'm here to get, but I'm here to give. And that's true wherever we're at, whatever we're doing. So a few questions to ponder. Now I'm going to go through these slow because I really want us to bring application to this because great, good parable, solid sermon this morning, but if we don't own this teaching and actually ask God to correct anything in us, to change our heart in areas that it needs to be changed, we're wasting time today. Do you guys understand that? Okay, that's one thing God's word is for. It's to teach us what's right and what's wrong. How to get us right and then how to keep us right. Okay, 1 Timothy 3.16. So, first question I'd like to throw out there is are you available to serve the Lord? Are you available? Well, pastor, I work 40 to 50 hours every week. Are you available to serve the Lord? Because those are 40 to 50 great hours that you can be serving the Lord. But I'm really tired after I work a long week like that. Great. God gives strength, doesn't he? He gives grace when we're weak. He does that. Also, are you willing to serve without a contract? Well, God, I'll do this if... Are you just willing to serve? Isn't that the heart of our Lord and Savior? I came to serve, not to be served. I read that in the Gospels. He humbled himself and became a servant to all. I think we just studied recently that we're to pick up our cross. What? Deny ourselves? What? And follow him? What did he do? He came to serve, guys. Following his example. If nobody's hired you yet, are you willing to volunteer? There's a lot of people who are just sitting on the shelf. I'm just waiting for God to make it clear what his will is. <laughs> Read your Bible. There's a whole lot that's very clear about what his will is. And sitting on your butt and feeling sorry for yourself is not in the Bible. Well, i got to love myself first and get myself well before I can serve others. Show me some scripture on that. Okay, I saw many, many examples reading through the scriptures that spoke of men and women who were broken, messed up, depressed. That God used. People that were outcasts, a society wanted nothing to do with. He even chose them and used them for his glory. That's our God. That's his business. Are you a people watcher? 
Are you a people watcher? How did you react to the way the master paid this, the different salaries? Be honest. When we first read through the parable, that's the first thing we did. We read the whole thing. Were you guys like, hmm, I feel like a monkey and that's not fair. <laughs> I feel that way once in a while when I read that parable. I'm like, really? But what does that always do? It brings us back to why. The question, why God? Why? Oh, it's because you're good. It's because you are gracious. You are generous. Okay? And the second part of that question is, do you think his system was unfair? Do you guys know that God can handle if you're disappointed or if you have questions? Do you guys know that our God is big enough to handle that? Yeah. There's sometimes we have to wrestle through things in Scripture. And sometimes we do look at things, well, this isn't fair, God. You're talking to me about having a right attitude as I serve. This is what the parable is all about. And here I'm serving and nobody's serving with me. This ain't fair. I serve you and life just gets harder. This isn't fair, Lord. What's going, what's going on is there's an attitude problem. And praise God, these things are shaking out to get our attention, to wake us up. Because this life is short. It's but a vapor. We don't have time to whine, to complain. Pastor, you're being a little harsh, a little unfair. No, I know our God is good. And I know the time is short. And we should be busy about redeeming that time. Not whining and complaining. There's a whole lot of that out there. There's a whole lot of self-centeredness let's call it, within the church today. A lot of people today got up to go to church. What am I going to get? I read the scriptures. We've been created for not what we're going to get. We've been created for the glory of God. What are we going to give to God? Guys, we came together because we believe the gospel. We believe together what the scriptures say about Jesus. We believe together what the Word says about what we are to be about. We are here together to worship Him. We are here together to give. We are here together to serve. That's what the church is called to do. I love that our kids got up here this morning and quoted Matthew 28. Go, therefore. That's what we're called to do. We are here to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We get to do that together. We get to go together. God has given us much, guys. We get to serve together. That's a beautiful thing. And I would love for our hearts to have a right attitude in serving together. And when we do see a brother or sister that's getting their eyes on themselves or on others or what they get, hopefully we can come alongside them in truth and love. And hey, eyes back on Jesus. Okay, he's calling us to do this. He's calling us to go share the gospel, to love others. Let's do it. Let's do it together. Let's do it well. So, next one. Do you ever examine your own motives as you serve the Lord? Is it good to examine ourselves? Absolutely. Okay. 
And sometimes I want to talk specifically to you saints who have been serving the Lord in some capacity or way for a longer season of life now. You guys especially need to go back and examine why you're doing what you're doing. Not because, hey, this is just what I do on a Wednesday or this is what I do during the week. Why are you doing that? Why are you going there? Why are you making that phone call? Why are you writing out that check to support that? Examine your heart. Don't fall in the routine. Oh, this is just what I do as a Christian. Okay? I think discipline and obedience is good, but does the heart need to be a part of those things always? Absolutely. Okay? And the last question I'd like to ask you guys this morning is do you trust God's word? Isn't that really the bottom line here? Do you trust God's word and really believe that he is generous? Some of you guys believe he's Savior, but he's not good. He's not generous. There's a lot of people who have fallen into that. Do you personally believe God is generous? Well, yeah, he is for you, but not for me. If you only knew what I went through. Guys, we all go through things in this life. God's promised tribulation. But in the midst of that tribulation and what we actually really deserve, he is gracious, guys, to all and merciful. And if we have been dealt a bad hand, great. Greater opportunity to shine for Jesus. Greater opportunity to serve this world in need of Jesus through being a light in that, guys. Do you believe what God has said? He is good. And the second part of that question, are you bitter because somebody else got what you may think is a better deal? Are you bitter? Let's be honest. Show of hand. How many of you guys know bitter Christians? Be honest. Okay. Ought we be bitter as believers? No. Is the Holy Spirit able to <laughs> get those roots out, that root of bitterness? Is He able to deal with our hearts, get deep? Yeah. Is it painful? Yeah. Is it worth it? Yeah. He knows best, guys. And if you're going through a season, a season of being sifted or being pruned, praise God. Praise God. Continue to praise Him in the storm. Continue to honor Him. Be faithful what He's calling you to. Because let me tell you what, when you're walking through some crud, guys, God can even use that for His glory. He can use that to help you serve others. I'm going on about six years now of struggling with depression almost on a daily basis. It sucks. This last week has sucked once again. But you know what, guys? God uses that in ways that I would have never been able to minister to others and share Jesus with certain types of people on a regular basis. And I'm thankful for that. I can allow it to defeat me. But what's the point? And what the thing is that keeps me going, and I'm not trying to boast that I'm great or I'm doing this well or I suffer better than others. No, we all suffer differently. There's some of you guys that deal with depression way worse than I probably ever will. There's just different things that we're handling in this life. What it all comes down to, no matter what we're going through, the Word of God is still the Word of God. Truth is still truth. If God has called you to do something, you don't do it whether you feel good enough or not. <laughs> You just do what he's called you to do. Okay? And in that, guys, let's not become bitter. Let's look at it. Okay, God, you've allowed this <laughs> for a purpose. 
And whatever that purpose is, I'm going to do it, and I want you to be glorified through it. And it is good, guys, when we are in the Word of God daily because it reminds us. And I'm going to be real honest with you guys. There's days where I don't have the time to be in the Scriptures like I like. You guys want to guess what those days are like for me? Yeah. But if I'm being renewed in my mind, refreshed daily, and I can go through the motions of reading, hey, this is my devotion, you know, you can just read and nothing can happen. Again, the heart needs to be engaged. Your mind needs to be in agreement with the word. And we have to be in that place where, yes, God, you are right. I'm going to pray these things in. This is truth. And you're going to find this grace for whatever God has set before you guys because he is generous. He is good. So, attitudes this morning. We need to have a right attitude. And I think a big part of having a right attitude is having a willing attitude. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet and we'll close in prayer. Well, Father, I do thank you for the opportunity to share your word this morning, Father, with these brothers and sisters of mine. God, and I do want to ask that your Holy Spirit would uh, establish our hearts in ways that need to be, God. I know that we're all in different parts of our, our faith, our walk with you, Lord, but we want to keep growing. We want to keep seeking you till the day we die. Father, as our kids shared with us earlier about going into the world, I pray that we would embrace that sentness that the Bible talks about for your church. God, you're calling us to go, to be people sent by you, Jesus. Lord, it's not, it's not a choice. This is what you're calling us to do, and we want to represent you well. We want to share you well. You are a good God. You are a generous God. The gospel Lord, it is the greatest news that anyone could possibly ever hear. And there's so many that don't even have a clue. So help us, Father, no matter what season we're going through, no matter what trials we may be facing, help us to keep believing, keep obeying for your glory, Jesus. We ask in your name. Amen? Amen.